It's always good to have the piano player with us. So you don't have to hear me sing. <laughs> so uh, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And once you find your place there, I'd like you also to turn back to Acts chapter number 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1 and Acts chapter number 17. So with the Lord's help we want to begin a study here of the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, we'll read just verse number 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to Acts chapter number 17, and verse number 1. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia... They came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered the company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people." And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those of Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of the honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea. They came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. We trust God will add His blessing to the reading of His own holy and errant and infallible word to our hearts. Let's unite our hearts together in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you in that name which is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask thee, O God, that you would forgive us of our many sins. God, that have hindered us from approaching thy throne of grace. We recognize in thy word that you said if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. And so, God, we pray that you would be merciful to us and forgive us of our sin the God that we might approach boldly thy throne of grace at this time. And God, we are ever mindful of our need of you, our need of help from heaven. And how we pray, O oh God, that you be pleased to come down and even move in our midst here in Lexington. God, you have promised us that where two or three are gathered together in your name. There you are in the midst of them. And O oh God, we be not a large congregation here today. The God that does not matter... You have promised thy sweet divine presence. And how, God, we pray, O oh God, for an outpouring of the Spirit of the Lord, that we might know something of the rivers of living water flowing in our soul today. That, God, that you would come down and break up the fallow ground, 
the God that we might seek thee afresh today. And so, God, we pray to that end that you would come and move in our community. That, God, that you would be pleased to save sinners in this community of Lexington. How we pray, O oh God, for an expanse of thy church in this area. How we pray, O oh God, that this church would break forth on the right hand and on the left. That you would cause this church to inherit the seed of the Gentiles. And that, O oh God, that many people would be swept into the kingdom in this area. O oh God, we pray that you would give us more faith in these days. Increase our faith, Lord, we believe, but help thou our unbelief. God, we also pray for thy holy will to be done in this church. God, we pray, O oh God, that thou wouldst provide the man in thy timing and in thy providence that would be the shepherd of the flock of God here in this congregation. The God that you make it very plain and evident to both man and congregation alike to know what thy holy will is. The God that would not be ignorant but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so, God, we also pray for our country today that is in dire need of an outpouring of the Spirit. God, we think about the total commotion and chaos, God, in our country, in our world, all because of the coronavirus and because of many other things that are happening in our world. People are fearful. People are afraid. People are disturbed. And people are depressed. And God, I pray that you would undertake for thy people today. And that God, that they would know the help of the Lord. And so God, we pray as we approach this message, that God, that you give me power and unction from on high, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, many men upon graduating from Bible college or seminary or being called to the ministry, they have great dreams of going, pastoring large works that are well established. Or these men feel that God may call them to a particular location and with a matter of a couple months they'll be running a hundred people, which is entirely possible. But many people are acting under false premise and false understanding. There is a great need across our land of Bible preaching churches that will hold forth the word of life. And what we have read of Thessalonica was such a place where there was a need for a gospel witness. And we found that God in His providence raised up a man that received a call to go there. A man that received a call, he went to Macedonia where Thessalonica was, and he preached the Word of God with passion and great zeal. And just as there was a need in Thessalonica, there is a need in many places all around our world and all around the country in which we live today. For example, we know any of you that have ever been in the Northeast, you know the great need of churches in Northeast to preach the Word of God. You know the need of churches in the Midwest for the Word of God. You know the churches that have great need in the West. But why are there not as many gospel witnesses in these places? I submit unto you the reason why is because they are hard places. We many times want the easy, and we fail to see the value of difficult labor. This is something that even my own generation, many of you that are older can even testify of, that many in the millennial and younger generation just do not understand the value of hard work. But it's the same in the work of God. Just as there is value in secular employment for hard work, God desires hard work and His labor and His endeavor. In all labor, the proverb writer said, there is profit. It takes great labor for a man to go to a place where there is no gospel witness and start from scratch. Now think about even the establishing of this church here. It took great labor for the man that labored here for a number of years to preach the gospel and to deal with trials and tribulations along the way. This church just did not pop up overnight. It took a man... And it took a congregation to labor and to trust God and to believe God to get 
to where we are today, a church that has a building that is established and doing something for the Lord. So it does you well even as people that attend this church to know the history of how God even established and built and allowed this church to begin. But this is exactly what we find the early apostles doing. And this is the pattern we find set forth in the book of Acts, that they would go to an area where there was nobody, and they would preach the gospel, and God would see fit to do a great and marvelous work in saving sinners and establishing a church. So just as it takes a labor for a woman to give birth to a child, so it takes labor to see a church birthed by the grace of God. And it will take much labor as well to see this church built back up as well. Do not think that this is something that will just happen overnight. This will be a labor. This will be a work of love. This will be something that will take time, sweat, and tears, and sacrifice to see a church built for the glory of God. In the book of Acts, we find multitudes of churches established by men that went to a city and they preached the gospel and many were converted and then a church established. This is the normal pattern. And in the book of Acts, we find men with unwavering faith that believe the promises of God and men with firm reliance upon the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So in our consideration of the church in Thessalonica, this was done in a matter of three Sabbath days, just under a month. The work that God did in Thessalonica took place in three Sabbath days, we read. That is absolutely amazing. So I want to bring before you the message this morning, establishing churches in hard places establishing churches in hard places. And Thessalonica was one of those places that was difficult to establish a work. So how can we establish churches in hard places? Well, we want to consider three things this morning. Number one, we want to consider the call of God will keep you in the hard place. Number two, a passion for God will keep you in the hard place. And thirdly, loyalty to Christ will keep you in the hard place. There's one thing that I have found that is when things get difficult, people get going. When things get hard, people give up. When things get difficult, people want to throw in the white towel of surrender. And they want to say, it's too hard. It will not happen. But that's when we want to start believing God. When all things look hopeless... That's when God is interested in moving. When things look the most hopeless in society and the world around us, when you look at the history of God's great movings in countries, and particularly even in this country during the time of the Great Awakenings, it was in a period of great depravity and darkness and wretchedness when it looked like all hope was lost and nothing would happen that God saw fit to shine the light of the glorious gospel of Christ into the hearts of men. And God God saw fit to send great awakening. And what you might see today as an utterly hopeless situation, something that is utterly lost, something that cannot be done, that we're just going to continue on the same way that we have always continued, and nothing will ever happen. You know where those ideas come from? They don't come from God. They come from someone else the one from the pit, that come from the devil himself, that wants to whisper into you lies to cause you to doubt the ability of God. God has the ability to establish and build and root up and encourage and strengthen churches in hard places. I want you to consider, first of all, with me, under establishing churches in hard places. It is the call of God that will keep you in the hard place. And this goes to both minister and congregation alike. And this was true of the apostle. I want you to turn with me 
is you're there in Acts 17 to Acts 16. Acts chapter number 16. And I want to give you a brief background before Paul even arrived at Thessalonica. As you know, in Acts chapter number 15, Paul finds himself with that great general assembly or meeting of the presbytery, as it were, at the great Jerusalem council. And it is in Acts 15 that the presbytery, as it were, commissioned Paul and Barnabas to go to Antioch with the binding decrees that were decided by the presbytery. We find that shortly after that, that there was a rupture between Paul and Barnabas over an individual by the name of John Mark. But God saw fit in the midst of that to do a great work to send both of his godly men in other areas. We see that Paul would take Silas and go through Syria and Cilicia. And upon coming to Derby and Lystra, Paul runs into a young man called Timothy, who becomes his student in the faith. And Paul then was determined to go further into the northeast in his missionary endeavor. This is where he desired to go. But he was stopped by the Lord. We see that he was forbidden by the Holy Ghost to go there. Look with me in Acts 16 and verse number 6. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia in the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Now, Paul desired to go a certain direction with the gospel, but God wanted another way. Did Asia need the gospel? Asia, as you think about it, if you look at your Bible maps, and I don't encourage you to do it right now, but when you get home, look at the back of your Bible, and you'll find that Asia was not as we know Asia today. That it was a northeastern part of that peninsula in the Mediterranean Sea. That was known as Asia. And Paul desired to go to Asia with the gospel. He wanted to go further northeast. But he was forbidden by the Holy Ghost to go there. Then we read that he wanted to go to Mysia. And he, he excuse me, that he came to Mysia. And then he desired to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered him not to go even further northeast. But God would not allow him. I want to ask you a question. Did Asia need the gospel? They did. Did Bithynia need the gospel? They did. Did God want Paul to go there? No, he did not. Paul had a, God had a different will and plan for the apostle Paul. Did God desire the apostle Paul? Did God want to use the apostle Paul in this endeavor to go to these places? Well, not at this time. God had another plan. He was forbidden by the Holy Ghost. And the word to forbid there simply means that he was prevented. He was hindered. Or it could literally just simply mean he was forbidden. The Holy Spirit made it very clear to him that it was not God's will. And then we read in verse 7 that the Spirit suffered them not. That it is they did not permit them to do so. So Paul was forbidden and not permitted by the divine will of God to go to these areas that he desired to. And just because there is a need does not mean that God wants someone to pursue it. There is a need in this church for a man to be a pastor, is there not? This is the need for this church. God wants a man to be here to pastor this congregation. But just because there is a need, it does not justify a call. Let me explain what that means. Just because a man might see a need in a particular area, it does not mean that God necessarily wants him there. A need does not justify a call. The church needs God's man. God forbid Paul to go to Asia. God forbade Paul to go into the area of Bithynia. So Paul, as it were, had his hands up in the air. Lord, what would you have me to do? God made it very clear to the Apostle Paul what his will was. Notice in verse 9 with me. 
of chapter 16 of Acts. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Wanted him to cross the sea, to go in a different direction. He wanted him to go west instead of northeast. He had a different plan for the Apostle Paul. What was Paul to do? God would make it very clear to him what his will was. And as a congregation, you should pray that God would make his will very clear to that man just as he did to the Apostle Paul. When you are praying for a man, for this congregation, you need to pray that that man receives a call that is just as clear as the Apostle Paul, that he knew exactly what God would have him to do. And you need that for yourselves. Just as the man needs confirmation, the congregation needs confirmation that that is the man that God would have us be. We, we, we do not need just any man. This church does not just need any man. They need God's man. They need the man that God would have to shepherd this church. You don't want any man because if you just have any man that just sees the need and just comes and takes the work, it will not do what God wants it to do. You need God's man. You need the man that God has called to this church. So hence you need the direction of the Holy Ghost and that is precisely what the Apostle Paul is here receiving. He is being forbidden to go to places of great need. These places had great need. Asia had great need. Bithynia had great need. But now he receives a direct call by a vision of a man crying to him. Come to Macedonia and preach to us the word of God. Help us. But notice what happens in verse 10. That after he had seen the vision, immediately, immediately, we endeavor to go to Macedonia. There was no question in Paul's mind. This was immediate. Notice he received immediate confirmation that this was the will of God. He didn't have to ask God any questions. He didn't have to wrestle with God to determine if it was God's will. God made it so clear that he had no questions in his mind. He said, immediately, I must go to Macedonia. God, you don't want me in Asia? Okay, I won't go there. You don't want me in Bithynia? But God, I had this vision that you have sent to me, and Lord, I know that this is what you want me to do. Notice he said, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia. Then notice this language. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Assuredly gathering. This brought great assurance. He said, I am absolutely convinced that this is the will of God for my life, to go to Macedonia and preach to them the Word of God. And my friend, this is what the church here needs. You need a man. As it were, he might not receive a vision from God, but as it were, the Holy Spirit has made it so evident to him that he says, I must leave immediately. And I must go to that place and I must preach the gospel to them because God has made it so evident to me that this is the will of God. And this is what you need as well as a congregation. Not just the man needs this, but you need it. You need God to make it very plain and clear to you what His will is. Assuredly gathering. This thus made it very clear to what Paul was to do. God was calling him to Macedonia to preach the gospel of Christ. And you need to pray once again that God would create such a calling and the man that God would have pastored this congregation. That God would give such a vision, such an insight, such a knowledge where he just can't get away from it. That he says, this is God's will for my life. You also need to be assured that the man is God's man again. Know that it is God's man. Remember that you do not just need any man. You need God's man with the call of God upon his life. There are many preachers in this land, but there is only one preacher that God desires to stand behind this pulpit and preach to you the word of God. 
There are many that could come. There are many men that are gifted, but there is one in particular that God wants to shepherd this flock, and that is the one for whom you need to pray. That is the one for whom you must get down on your knees and beg that God would make it clear and evident to create a burden in that man's heart for this area and for this community. This is something you must pray for. A man that knows this calling will stay when goings get rough. The man comes to the church, knows that God has called him. He knows that God has made it very clear, assuredly gathering, that God had called him to preach the gospel to these people when times get rough and things get tough and the churches go through splits and divisions and division begins to become apparent in the church, the call of God will keep them. But you need that as well. If God is calling you to this congregation and you believe this is where God wants you, the call of God will keep you here. Oh, tr troubles might arise. And, and let me tell you, if you've been part of any church for any length of time, you know people are not perfect. People say things that they don't mean to say, or they might mean to say them, and it causes division. It causes problems. And what are we to do? We're to stick it through, stick uh, thick and thin. We're to forgive one another. We're to deal with these problems. We're adults, right? We're not children. We can deal with these problems and God has prescribed order on how to deal with problems that arise in the church. And when you know that God has called you to a place, you can stick through it because God has made it very clear to you. So both congregation and minister need this alike. A man will not abandon ship when times get hard if he knows God has called him. And as a member of the congregation, you will not abandon ship when you know that God has called you to this place. As I said, times might get tough, but you will not abandon because you believe this is where God has called you to be. When a man knows that God has called him to a church, he can endure anything that comes his way because he knows he is in the perfect will of God. The same with the congregation alike. So are you committed to the will of God to be done in this church? Are you willing to pray, Lord, thy kingdom come? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you willing to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done? Will you leave when problems arise, or will you trust that since God has led you here, he will see you through it? Or will you stay because God has called you and you know the promises of God that he will be faithful to every single one of his promises? Paul was a man with the call of God. You know why Paul went to Macedonia? You know why Paul went to Thessalonica? Because God called him there. God made it very clear as he traveled across the sea and he went to Amphipolis and he then went to Apollonia and then he came to Thessalonica. This was the places that God had called them to, to preach the word of God to them. And this is the type of man that you need, a man with the call of God. And a man with the call of God will stick it throughout the hard place. And so will the congregation if they have the call of God, knowing that this is what God desires for them. So the call of God will keep you in the hard place. But secondly, a passion for God will keep you in the hard place. Here the Apostle Paul arrives at Thessalonica in Acts chapter number 17. And Thessalonica is just like any other city in that day, is wholly given to idolatry. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians in chapter number 1, Paul writing unto them says to them in verse 9, he says, for they, show them, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Here Paul had gone into a city that was given to idolatry, that was given to idol worship. He's going to a place of great animosity. And no doubt they had temples erected to various gods, and there was no doubt immorality, just like in many Roman cities in that day, there was running rampant, along with a large Jewish synagogue that detested anything to do with Christ. And so Paul was entering into a very hard and difficult area. 
But he had the call of God upon his life to go and preach the gospel unto them. And Paul, as he would go and preach unto them, was a man of passion. You know, I can imagine the Apostle Paul entering into a community and just standing before a group of people and just simply merely whispering to the people. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees he identified himself of. Paul was a man of great knowledge and zeal prior to faith in Christ. And I believe that that zeal did not diminish after coming to faith in Christ, but it seems very apparent to me that that zeal only grew into a greater flame that properly burned by the Holy Spirit in his heart and in his soul. That he was a man on fire, as it were. That he went into communities, and as we read in Acts 17, that there was such a stirring that took place in Thessalonica that the people in the surrounding area said, these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. And who were these? They were the apostles. Isn't it amazing how just a small number of people filled with the Holy Ghost, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, transformed the entire world as we know it. That's amazing. But God desires to do the very same today. Wouldn't it be amazing that if God did such a work here in Lexington in the Columbia, in Columbia area, that they would say at this church, these people have turned the whole community upside down. Everything is different now. But this is what God desires for His church. And here Paul is a man full of passion. And there is one thing that is certain, Paul's hatred he had for Christ prior to his conversion is now equally matched with zeal for Christ after his conversion. But now he is motivated by a greater power and a greater calling. We read in Acts 15, 26 that he was a man that hazarded his life for the name of the Lord Jesus. He put it all on the line. He was willing to give his life Remember Paul said there was a prophet that came unto him one day and said, the man that wears this girdle, he will be bound in Jerusalem. Remember what the apostle Paul said? He said, I'm not willing only to be bound. But he said, I'm willing if necessary to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. He was willing to lay it all on the line. He was willing to die as a, and be a curse from Christ for his kinsmen according to the flesh. He said in Romans chapter number 9, he had a zeal for souls. And I don't think that Paul, when he preached, was a man that preached with lack of passion. He warned the elders in Ephesus as he preached to them. He said, for three years I were with you in Ephesus, and I cease not to warn you every day, night and day with tears. Paul was a man of passion. Paul was a man of emotion. And there's nothing wrong with being emotional. It just shows the people that you are a real person. That you're not just some statue. You're not some robot preaching a mechanical sermon. And this is what Paul was. He was a man of passion and zeal. He wore his heart on his sleeve. This was a man willing to spend and be spent for Christ. This was a man constrained by the love of Christ. This was a man with continual sorrow in his heart for his kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul, this man now enters into the synagogue, the stronghold of enmity against Christ. And as he enters into the synagogue, notice that his passion and his zeal is curbed by order. This work that was formed in Thessalonica was formed orderly. Notice in verse number 1 of chapter 17, there was a synagogue of the Jews. Verse 2, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. This was done orderly. Here he enters into the synagogue. And when the time arose in most synagogues at the end, they would allow some to speak at certain times. And he now has arisen, and he now speaks in the midst of the congregation as his manner was. And he begins to reason with them out of the Scriptures. And the word to reason there simply means to converse, to discourse with one. He has the idea of arguing with. So Paul, he began to discuss with them. He began to talk to them. 
shall argue with them. He was opening and alleging. And the word to open means to expound. And to allege means to explain. So here Paul has entered into the synagogue in Thessalonica, a place of enmity against Christ, and he begins to discuss and to explain and expound to them that Jesus Christ is in fact the Messiah. Now this must have been quite a scene. Could you imagine this man, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, is now entered into the synagogue and is reasoning with these people. And the Bible says that some of them believed in verse 4 and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few. He walked methodically through the scriptures pointing men to Jesus Christ. This is a proper method for men today to follow in hard places. We had the call of God, a passion for God. And as he found himself in Thessalonica, how did he preach to the people? Well, he preached to them line upon line, here a little, there a little. He expounded to them the word of God. He said, I want to tell you about one who has prophesied of, whom the Lord brought into time. And he is Jesus, and he is your Messiah. And he proved it from the word of the Lord. Here is a model for those serving in the area of God's vineyard. Expound and explain God's word to the people of God. What do the people want to know? They want to know the Bible. They don't want to know all about us. They don't want to know about this fat or that. They want to know the word of the Lord. And this is what Paul sought to do. So he formed the work orderly. But this work was also formed powerfully as he reasoned and opened and explained and expounded to them the word of God. This wasn't just a mere intellectual exercise. This was done in the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. It could be said of the Apostle Paul like it was said of Christ. Never man spake like this man. That when the Apostle Paul came in to speak that he spoke with an authority that the rabbis did not have. He spoke with an unction upon his life. He spoke as he was speaking the very oracle of God. He, speak, he spoke as a man of God. He spoke powerfully. If you look back with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And verse number 5, Paul explains to them the way in which he preached to them. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 5, he said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So as Paul preached to the Thessalonians, what was accomplished there in Thessalonica was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, explains to them how the Word of God came. He did not come simply in word only. That is, the words of a mere man. It wasn't just the words of a man, but as he spoke to them, it was as if it, was as if it were the words of the Holy Spirit. He said, the gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. These were words spoken with much conviction. Notice he says there in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 1, that it was in much assurance, more than ever, we need men that speak with conviction. We need men that don't stand behind the pulpit and say, I think this or I think that, or I hope this. We need men that stand behind the pulpit that say, Thus saith the word of God. This is what God says on the manor. And this is what God desires. And this is what God wants. Men that speak with conviction that say, You must be saved. You must be born again. That if you do not trust Christ, you will be eternally separated from Him. And Paul was a man that spoke with much assurance. In great conviction, we need men that have passion in the pulpit. Away with men that speak in a mere whisper, that lack conviction in their words. A man that lacks passion lacks much. Passionate preaching will create passionate people. 
I don't know about you, but when I sit and I listen to a sermon and a man is passionate about what he's preaching, it creates within me a passion for what he's preaching. If I sit and I listen to a hum, hum of a sermon where there's no passion, no zeal, no desire, I'm not interested in anything that person has to say. Because if he does not preach as if he believes what he is preaching, then why should I believe what he is preaching? We need men with passion. And no doubt when Paul preached the word of God, he preached as if he believed what he was preaching, because he in fact did. If a minister is not passionate about what he preaches, is it any wonder that the congregation is not passionate as well? It is this call of God upon a man that should create a passion for the Word of God and the life of God's people. Paul knew that God had called him to Macedonia to preach the Word. And if God had called him, then God would work through him. And so this created a passion in him to see what God would do. And God blessed this work because Paul went where God had called him in his divine will. Any work that is ever done for God, it must be done in the power of God. Let me share with you about the great missionary, Reverend John Patton. I don't know if you're familiar with John Patton, but John Patton was a missionary to a cannibal island of Aniwa. And he had the call of God and a passion for God. And as he went to that cannibal island, they warned him that he would be eaten alive of these people. And he went there in the 1800s. And in a matter of years, after arriving at the island, he saw the entire island turn to Jesus Christ. The entire island. He would later write in his diary, I claimed Aniwa for Jesus. And by the grace of God... Anyone now worships at the Savior's feet. Here is a man that had the call of God on his life. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to raise my hand to go first to go to any cannibal island. But here was a man that had the Holy Spirit minister to his heart. That God, as it were, pointed his finger at him and said, Mr. Patton, I want you to go to Anoa. Mr. Patton said, Yes. He went with the call of God, with the belief that God would save those cannibals. And he went and God saw work done. Why? Because God called him. He had a passion for God. The entire, uh, the entire island was one to Christ. But not only that, but an entire Bible was produced in their language by Reverend John Patton. So here was an example of a man with the call of God and a passion for God that saw a great work accomplished. And I submit to you, congregation, today that if you pray that God would create this call like Paul experienced and create a passion within that man, that there will be a great work accomplished here in Lexington. But it's not going to be any man. It's got to be God's man. It has to be the man that God calls. And it has to be that man. And this work that was formed in Thessalonica was not just formed orderly. It was not just formed powerfully, but it was formed rapidly. This was formed in a matter of three Sabbath days. If you look back with me in Acts chapter number 17. and verse number 2. Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. And then you look in verse 4, there were multitudes converted. This was due to the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. The method in the book of Acts for church planting boils down to this. Receive a call of God. Go not knowing what might happen. Preach Christ. Sinners will be converted. And a church established. That's what we see in the book of Acts. We don't find someone just going to an area where there's a whole bunch of people and everything's all set and ready for them as they arrive. No, every single apostle that went into a city and planted a church went into a heathen place that was godless and wicked with the call of God, with the commission of Christ, and they preached the gospel and souls were converted and a church established. That's how it worked. And that's how we ought to work today. 
A man should have a call of God upon his life. He should go to a community believing that God has called him. He should preach Christ and prove God. And as he does so, God will convert sinners and a church will be established. This is the norm. And great seasons of gospel blessing that is, has been the norm, and it is something that we should pray for again. This has been the norm even in our denomination. Back in the early days of the denomination in Ulster, there were times when Dr. Paisley would go to a community, and I think the first church that was ever established in the denomination, there was an evangelistic crusade that was held, and multitudes were converted to Christ, and a church established essentially overnight. God can do that still today. Even though Paul was quickly driven from this work, he still oversaw this work. In Thessalonica we saw that the Jews had a great uprising against him and drove him out of the city to Berea. And this was only some 50 miles away from Thessalonica. And the Thessalonica Jews were so upset about him even being in Berea that they came after him there and drove him out of there. So there will be great hostility to the preaching of Christ. You can mark it down that when God's man receives a call to this congregation, and you know it and he knows it, and he comes with a passion for God and God starts to do something, you can mark it down that trials and tribulations and difficulty and opposition will come. But what happened? These people didn't disband. They were knit together by love. We see that Paul, thirdly, is not just a man with a call of God upon his life, that kept him in the hard place, with a passion for God that kept him in the hard place, but loyalty to Christ will keep you in the hard place. Notice what we read here in verse 6 of Acts 17. And when they found them not, and drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now I wish I could just preach on that text to you today, but I don't have the time. That is a marvelous phrase there. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. That is amazing. The lost people around Thessalonica recognized that these followers acknowledged and served someone other than Caesar. They served King Jesus. These unbelievers recognized that they were doing things contrary to the decrees of Caesar. And the believers were refusing to follow laws that contradict Scripture. How applicable this is for our situation in which we are today. Now it's not my intention to rock the boat this morning. But I must preach to you the Word of God. Here are some men that are doing things that Caesar says that you should do. Here are some men that, excuse me, that are, doing, are not doing things that Caesar said you should be doing. And they say, we don't serve Caesar. We serve Christ. And what Jesus tells us to do, we will do above what Caesar tells us to do. Jesus is number one. Guess who the head of the church is? It's not Caesar. It's not the United States government. It's not the governor. It's not any senator or representative. The Bible makes it clear that it is Jesus that is the sole and only king of the church. And he has a right to govern his church. And we are to always follow his commands. And today many governments are saying that we cannot do certain things which are directly commanded in Scripture, such as gathering to worship. They say that we cannot do this in the name of a pandemic. But many do not believe the false narrative of the liberal media. Let me say this, that we are to never violate Scripture in order to follow a government command. We are to be good and lawful citizens to the extent that we are able to follow the Word of God. But we must never violate Scripture, violate our conscience to obey government. The head of the church is not government. One of the causes of the Protestant Reformation was government saying that it was the head of the church. The Pope 
saying, I am the head of the church. And then you had the Church of England with the king saying and the queen saying, I am the head of the church. And the reformers said, no, the pope that sits in the Vatican is not the head of the church. Neither the king that sits on his throne in England is head of the church. There is only one that is head of the church. And he sits in heaven upon the throne and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the sole king and head of his church. Government has a responsibility to be in alignment with the Word of God. Government has been instituted by God. But they are to fulfill their uh, obligations in the sense that God has given in His Word. Peter said in Acts 5.29, when he was questioned about, why are you preaching this gospel after we commanded you straightly not to preach in His name? And what did Peter say to them in Acts 5.29? We ought to obey God rather than men. It is terrifying to see many churches scattered across this world refusing to worship, refusing to evangelize sinners all in the name of government control. The devil is greatly used, I believe, this virus as a means of thwarting the work of the church. And many believers have been lulled to sleep by his lie. But, on the other hand, many have tuned into preaching, such as on Sermon Audio, that have never been faithful to any church in the past. And God has greatly used this pandemic to further the gospel. And I think that we can see that. We can see that the devil has sought to use it as a means of thwarting the church of God. And there's been more people that have no doubt been listening and have been sparked with an interest in the gospel. While some churches have shut off the light of their witness, others are allowing their gospel light to shine even brighter. It is time for the church to be the church more than ever. In a time of crisis, people need the counsel of godly elders. They need the preaching of the word more than ever. Let them say of us as they said of those of Thessalonica, they serve another king, one Jesus. I am to be loyal above all to Christ. My allegiance does not lie to the government alone, but my allegiance lies primarily to Jesus Christ and to his word. It is upon his word in which we stand. Do you recognize that the things that the apostles were doing in their days, many of the things they were doing were illegal? Do you realize that there are believers all around the world and places of great persecution that are meeting illegally underground? The government says they cannot worship. The government says you cannot worship God. And this was long before the coronavirus ever happened. And guess what they've been doing? They've been meeting and worshiping God despite what the government tells them to do. Why? Because God has commanded us to gather together to worship in His name. And they still continue to do so. Guess what? God has commanded you and I to worship. Now I'm not saying that we should not exercise caution in the midst of uh, difficult times, in the midst of sickness. But what I am saying is we cannot set aside the Word of God for the sake of obeying government authority when it contradicts Scripture. We must stand for the word of the Lord. And just as I am to be loyal to Christ above all, you are to be loyal to Jesus above all. It is time for us to draw a line in the sand and say that we are going to either be loyal to government or loyal to Christ. And I choose to be loyal to Christ. Loyal to Him alone. Paul was on the right side of this line. He was loyal alone to Christ. He was so loyal to Christ that wherever he went, many times he was driven out of the city. Why? Because he preached Christ with such passion and multitudes were converted and it was upsetting the whole civil structure of the people. Remember one of the occasions in the book of Acts when he preached and, and people were being converted and they were no longer worshiping the goddess Diana and all the people decided that we're making idols. We got to do something about this individual. He's upsetting our trade. People are no longer buying these idols. They're worshiping the one true living God. And they sought to throw him out of the city. We need ministers 
who have been called of God with a passion for God, who are loyal alone to Jesus Christ. These are men, we need men who are not manipulated by the winds of change in their day. We need men that are not moved by government of their day, but moved alone by the Holy Spirit. We need men of God. This church of Thessalonica continued because the people were loyal to Christ. If they would have said, you know what, the government says we can't meet for worship, let's just shut it down. They would have never been a church in Thessalonica. They would have never been any church because it was against the law. They were loyal alone to Jesus Christ. And they sought to worship despite the government saying no. We have a right to worship not because the Constitution says so, but because God says so. God said that we are to worship, and we are to do so. Their loyalty to Christ kept them knit together through the most difficult times of persecution. We, no doubt in this country, will go through great times of persecution. And it is through that time that we will be knit together closer in love. I've never been in a country where I've experienced extreme persecution. But I have friends that are in parts of the world where it is very difficult to be a Christian. And they explained to me that through times of persecution, the bonds of Christian love grow stronger and stronger. And you need a Christian body to be a part of, to say that this is my home, as persecution arises and grows stronger in days to come. So in conclusion, we find that Paul, in establishing the church of Thessalonica, was a man with the call of God upon his life. He went there receiving the Macedonian call to preach the gospel to them. He went to them with great passion. He was a man loyal alone to Jesus Christ. He was not manipulated by any man. He was God's man preaching God's word. And the church we consider today was formed in the midst of great persecution. As soon as three weeks took place, they were driving the apostles out saying, they are turning the whole city upside down. So it was in the midst of great persecution that this church was formed. This church was formed because a man came with a call of God. And this work flourished because there was a man with a passion for God. And the church continued because they were loyal alone to God. So my question to you this morning is this. Will you as a church pray that God would call a man to this church? Once again, let me emphasize, you need God's man, not just any man. God's man. Will you pray that God would give you a man with a passion for God? Will you pray that God will give you a man that is passionate for God? Will you determine what side you are going to be on? Are you going to be loyal to Christ or loyal to someone else? Loyalty to Christ will be blessed in the most difficult times. You know what amazes me and causes my heart to rejoice? Is when I am scrolling through Facebook, and I see on Facebook Grace Community Church in California, and I see the thousands of people that are there gathered worshiping the Lord. Whenever they have been told that they cannot worship... They've been told as a congregation, their state has been told that they cannot worship. But yet, despite that, they are obeying God and worshiping God. And God is bringing more people to their church, more people are being converted, that God is blessing their church more in obedience to His Word than in obedience to government. I think that should tell us something. As a congregation, that it is always right to obey God. And that when we obey God, God will bless us. There's a little children's song we used to sing in Sunday school. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key to immediately joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. God will reward obedience. And this is the, what we must pray for, that we would be obedient. In the hard place, you need a man with the call of God. 
You could say that this church is in a hard place. What do you need? You need a man with a call of God, with passion for God, with loyalty to Christ. This is the type of man that the church needs in the days ahead. To that end, I encourage you to pray fervently for this. Do not be content with any man, but only with God's man. And you must know this as well as the man himself. If a man comes to you and says, well, I think this is the will of God, and, you, and I, I think that God wants me be, to be your pastor, but you have no confidence in that whatsoever, I would not go forward. Both man and congregation should feel the very same. Pray for seasons of great blessing for this church that it would flourish just as the church in Thessalonica did. And so these are some lessons we learned from the establishing of the church of Thessalonica, establishing a church in a hard place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God today. We thank you for the truths of Holy Scripture. And God, it is my prayer and my desire that God, that you would make it very clear to the congregation here what your will is. That God, that you make it very clear to them what that, who that man is, and also to that man, that this is the place you would have him to minister. Because God, it will not work either any other way. This church needs God's man. And God's man needs God's people with the call of God to be here. And so God, we pray to that end that you would greatly bless this church. That God, that in the weeks and months and years to come, that we might say, look what the Lord hath done. We have seen what the Lord hath done, and it is marvelous in our eyes. God, do what you can only do. Call thy man. God, build up this church. God, might this little sanctuary fill up with sinners converted to Christ and bust out walls and build new buildings and see a mighty work done for Jesus Christ in this community. And God, might you increase the faith of thy people to believe it. So God, we pray as we depart this place. God, would you allow the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart to be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. We are dismissed.